Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good. Glad to be back with you. It was May 21st, the last time that I was here. Uh, Peter scampered off to, to somewhere, and <laughs> apparently I get to be one of his go-tos whenever he's off gallivanting. I guess that they are at a marriage conference this weekend, so praise God that they are able to get away and focus on their marriage, because that's just as important as him serving this body, as him serving his wife, um, and them serving each other. So we're glad they had that opportunity. Uh, as Dean alluded to, um, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update, uh, something that's happening here in your community uh, through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, to this point, there hasn't been any kind of connection with the Neely Oakdale School District. Um, and I know that the, the school district has gone through some pretty difficult things over the last year or so. Uh, but there was a group of individuals that came together, a group of um, volunteers that came together here in, in your neighborhood, in your neck of the woods, including John Webb is one of them. Uh, also, if you know Daniel Mortensen or Mary Oaks, uh, they, along with Pastor Peter, uh, they, they took breakfast to the coaches at Neely Oakdale a couple weeks back uh, and got a chance just to serve them. Uh, we grabbed some Casey's pizzas and we grabbed some coffee from River Mill and took it up there and had a chance just to say thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for the influence that you have over the students in our school and how can we serve you. Uh, it was just a really good opportunity. One of the coaches, Coach Davis, Gary Davis, does that sound right? Did I get that right? My memory's not that great, but it worked this time. Uh, even inquired about starting a, a huddle at the school. So uh, it's just, it's cool to see God working uh, in and through uh, volunteers, people who are in your community, who care about the teachers, who care about the coaches, who care about the athletes and the students at your school district. If that's something that you would like to be a part of, I'd be happy to talk to you about that after church, and we can go from there. Uh, but today, we're going to jump into the book of Jonah. Uh, and so if you would open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, we're going to kind of camp out just in the first chapter. I think we're going to try and cover the whole story, but we're going to just focus on the first chapter today. And if you would read along with me, Jonah chapter 1. Says this Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid for the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, 
Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quieted down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then this sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's open up in prayer. Gracious God, Lord, I am grateful for this opportunity to share your word with this people. Lord, um, I pray that you would set aside any agenda, you would set aside any pride, any, anything that would hinder me from, from sharing your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through, uh, through this story, through this well-known story of Jonah, and you would allow us to see that we're not so much different. Lord, I pray that you would just use this time and that we would, uh, we would walk away having a new insight, a new understanding uh, of what you called Jonah to do and how you call us as well. God, we praise you, glorify you, we honor you in your holy name. Amen. All right, so anyone here like to go fishing? You like to go fishing? Yeah? Got fishers? Okay, good, good, good. My dad loved fishing. It didn't matter what kind it was. It didn't matter if it was boat fishing or standing on the side of the shore fishing or hip wader deep fly fishing. Uh, it, it, it really didn't matter. He just loved to, to try and catch fish. I'm sure if ice fishing was available to him, that he would have braved the cold and set a spell on an upside-down five-gallon five gallon bucket just to, just to reel in a few. Um, also, it didn't matter if he caught anything, really. I mean, that's the, that was the objective, of course. Um, but he was just as happy as a clam, standing in the middle of the headwaters of the Allegheny River in Potter County, Pennsylvania, casting his line into the cold, shallow waters. Now, my dad was also a pastor by trade, uh, so he didn't tell fish stories, right? Um, but he was never, never seemed to be able to, to land that master angler trout that seemed to get away every single time. Uh, 
That's the other thing about my dad, though, is that he was an excellent storyteller. His favorite story to tell, of course, was that of his Savior and what was written in his word, including the story that we're talking about, that we're going to look at today. And, I mean, we know this story, right? We know this story. Well, we, we think we know this story. Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the great fish. It has filled countless children's storybooks and, and storybook Bibles. It's, let's not forget the 2002 theatrical masterpiece that was Jonah, a VeggieTales movie, which, I don't know, it was weird. It included a plant-eating worm. Vegetables, plant-eating worm, doesn't quite jive. But anyway, even the writer of Pinocchio stole this concept of being swallowed by a whale. And the gist of all of these stories is that Jonah was afraid and that he fled from God, but was corrected and then did what God told him to and became the hero, right? Or did he? This sermon, which I titled Jonah, the prophet who never really got it. We're going to be taking a closer look at this fish story. Now, now not a fish story in the sense of a, of a tall tale or a fable, but a story that is part of the inspired word of God. Therefore, we believe it to be true. Historical fact. This is what we're going to cover today in this first chapter of Jonah. We're going to look at the plight of Nineveh. Then we're going to see the flight of Jonah. We're going to look at the fright of the sailors. And lastly, we're going to see the might of the Lord. So let's set up the basics. First and foremost, who was Jonah and when did this happen? Jonah himself, he was a second generation prophet of God who lived from about 823 B.C., to 720 BC, so just, just short of 100 years old. His dad was uh, uh, Amittai, I struggled with saying that name for forever, Amittai, and he was believed to be a prophet also. Jonah was mainly the prophet who spoke to King Jeroboam II of the northern kingdom of Israel and told him that his kingdom would grow, which it did. In 2 Kings verses 14 through or chapter 14, verses 23 through 25, it says this. That might be a little tiny for you to read, but if you want to follow along, and if you can read that, I don't know if Brooke can or not, but uh, if you want to read that, you can follow along. It says this. It says, King Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, began to rule over in Israel in the 15th year of King Amaziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He refused to turn from the sins of Jeroboam the first, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Jeroboam, too, recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So Jeroboam II, or Jeroboam Jr., if you want, he was not a good king. And Jonah was okay with that. Jonah never spoke out against King Jay's evil actions that were widespread throughout the northern kingdom. 
But yet we have another example in King Jerry 2 of God using someone evil to advance his story. I mean, we see that all throughout Scripture. It's filled with flawed people who God uses anyway, whether they know it or not. Another prophet of God named Amos eventually reverses uh, Jonah's prophecy, which makes us wonder what kind of guy Jonah was to begin with. In other words, Jonah's kind of shady. So we're going to look at the plight of Nineveh. So here is Jonah in his hometown of Gath Heifer, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool when, when God, you know, the, the Lord Almighty that he's been prophesying on this guy's behalf all this time, God calls him to, as the New Living Translation puts it, get up and go to Nineveh and speak his coming judgment to them. Now, Nineveh at this time in history is a great city. It took several days just to walk across it. It was founded all the way back in Genesis chapter 10 by one of Noah's great-grandsons, Nimrod. Now, if you're expecting, there's a great baby name to cross off your list. I think when I was a teenager, I felt like my name might have been changed to Nimrod after all my decision-making, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So Nineveh had existed for over 1,400 years at the point of Jonah being called to get up and go. It had become the capital for the Assyrians, who were known to be cruel as they tried to expand their kingdom. King Sargon II, who ruled at this time, is credited for the destruction of Samaria. And the Assyrians were known for torturing their captives. These were the sworn enemies of Israel and King Jeroboam II. So Jonah, being King Jerry's yes man, also hated the Assyrians and one of them wiped off the face of the earth. This will come into play in his decision to not get up and go because Jonah already knew that they were wicked and they were. They were wicked. He was right about that. So let's look at get up and go from a, geo a geographical standpoint. We see Gath Heifer being part of Israel's northern kingdom. It was located north of Jerusalem in the port city of Joppa. I don't know if you can see that on the map or not. Um, my question is, why, why do so many ancient Middle Eastern town names sound like Star Wars destinations, like Gath Heifer and Joppa? It's just kind of weird. Anyway, you can see from the map that Assyria and Nineveh were far north or up, for those that might be vertically or directionally challenged, I should say, uh, compared to where Jonah was starting from. Jonah was called to get up and go, both figuratively and literally. But what did he do instead? He went down. In Jonah 1, 3, it says, But Jonah rose to flee the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So here we see the flight of Jonah. He went down to Joppa and then went down into the ship 
and he sat. Sounds very much like the opposite of get up and go. You'd think that since he hated the Ninevites, that he would have happily, he would happily trot up there and happily tell them that they were going to burn and stick around to watch the show. But instead, he tucks his tail and he scampers off to Joppa to hop a ride to the furthest destination possible, Tarshish. Now, if we look back at this map again, Tarshish <clears throat> is believed to have been on the Spain side of the Strait of Gibraltar. I mean, we're talking several weeks of a journey through the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, modern times, it's a 10-hour flight from Tel Aviv to Gibraltar. For perspective purposes, you know, flying from New York to L.A. is only five hours. His planned itinerary took him way beyond the opposite way to Nineveh. He did this very intentionally. Stories might tell you that he was afraid, but I really, I really don't think that's the case here. If we look into, the, into, the, into chapter 4 of Jonah in verse 1 through 3, it says this. It says, but, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This is after he had delivered the message, and God had made his decision of what to do with Nineveh. Jonah was displeased exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not what I said when I was yet in my country? That, <clears throat> that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Talk about a drama queen, goodness gracious. In this prayer to God in chapter 4, he knew that if he went, what God would end up doing. And that didn't sit well with him. He was bent on Nineveh's destruction. Now, it's a good thing we don't behave like that these days, right? It's a good thing we don't look at another segment of the population and think, well, they deserve punishment. After all, we're in the right and they're in the wrong, right? I mean, look at all the evil that they're doing. We, we should have the right to feel this way. We demand justice. <clears throat> I think the major takeaway that I've had reading through Jonah is that I see me in him. I mean, I know for me and maybe for others in this room, we often want to hide when God interrupts our lives to reach our enemies. But we don't scoot off to Antarctica and to run from God. We fill our time with things. Busyness, we call it. Now, some of these things aren't bad. Some are. But when anything, when anything takes precedence over God's call on our lives, we're not much different from Jonah. It's like we're looking in a mirror at this story. We are Jonah. My church has been working through the book of Acts this year, and, and in the springtime, we read about a man named Philip who was actively doing God's work. He was in the thick of the growth of the church in Samaria. I mean, he was kind of a big deal. To be honest, he was kind of a big deal. But God placed a call on him, too, in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
rise and go toward the south, uh, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Philip did not pass go. He did not collect $200. He got up and went straight to where he was told to go. He was the anti-Jonah, or maybe the Joe-yeah. We can learn from both sides of this coin here. We realize that we're taking God's word to others, even if they're unpleasant or our enemies, that that's showing God's love. Matthew 28 doesn't say, go and make disciples of everyone who agrees with you. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But our guy, Joseph, yeah, he did what was best in his eyes and did so by hightailing it to Tarshish. He had to sail to get there. So after he arrives in Joppa, we see that he secures passage on a ship and immediately goes below deck to his quarters. Now, I'm sure this isn't the love boat and with shuffleboard on Lido deck and all-you-can-eat buffets, but I think that he just wanted to be left alone in his quarters, knowing that he was blatantly disobeying God's command. Then they set sail for a more than three-hour tour. Let's look at the fright of the sailors. So soon after, a storm comes up along their route. In my mind, I kind of picture this storm being very isolated. You know, like the picture of the guy who's walking around and the rain clouds just right over top of his head. I kind of just imagine the boat just going along in the rain cloud, the, the storm being right above him, right above them. Um, but this, man, this was a fierce storm. Verses 4 through 6 in Jonah 1, back to that. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship, ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, or get up. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we might not perish. Now these sailors, they were likely veterans of sailing and of storms. The Mediterranean was known for its turmoil. How many times was the Apostle Paul tossed around and, and shipwrecked as he traveled around the Mediterranean Sea? The answer is three, by the way. The point is, these sailors, they knew how to manage their vessel in a storm. They were common. But this storm was different. It was exceptional. It was a mighty tempest that had them rattled to the core to the point that they were chucking their freight overboard in order to survive and helplessly praying to whatever God would potentially listen. And Jonah, yeah, he's taking a nap in the belly of the ship. A little foreshadowing maybe? They came to Jonah and they read in the riot act for, for sleeping through this megastorm calling on him to pray to his God to calm the storm. 
So he finally comes topside, and they, they figure out the storm is because of him, because he disobeyed God. Verses 10 through 7 says, They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So there's a scene in a lot of movies where someone realizes that they were betrayed by someone they trusted, and they ask the question, what have you done? One of my favorites is from the animated Lion King um, back in the 90s, the old, old school one. Old school? 90s? Old school? Man, I just made myself feel really old. Sorry. Uh, so uh, we, we see Simba had returned to, to Pride Rock, and there's a battle between Scar and, and the hyenas and the lions, and it, and it comes down to, to Simba and a Scar and a fight to the finish, and this is what it looked like. Scar has the upper hand, or, or, or paw, I suppose. Um, and, and he leans in and tells Simba that it was actually him who killed his dad, Mufasa. And you see in the eyes of Simba, you see this look of realization that, that Scar was the one who was guilty and not himself. I mean, it's usually overdramatic like this in most movies, right? But you get the idea. I imagine that this is what these sailors were thinking. What have you done? What is it that you've done to us? They're terrified, absolutely terrified, and this guy's acting like it's no big deal. What's ironic here is that the sailors who did not know the Lord end up acting in more reverence to God than his own prophet did. I think this is another indication on just how calloused Jonah was to God's call. They start asking how they could fix things because the storm is getting worse and worse and even more fierce than before. And finally, they pray to God in verse 11 through 16. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be quieted for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Then he said to them, pick me up. And hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us the innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These pagan sailors tried all the tricks they knew to save the ship. But in the end, they did what Jonah told them, and they cast him into the sea, just as they had done with all their cargo. And as the storm quelled, as it simmered down, as it got calm, they praised God. Something that hit me here 
is that Jonah, Jonah is completely unfazed by his impending demise. He's still running from God. Like, maybe he sees this as the ultimate opportunity to get out of the task that he's been charged to. He would just die in the sea, then then Nineveh is going to be destroyed after all. He's still running. This isn't a sacrifice. He's running to what he thinks will be his death. But instead, we see the might of the Lord. But to be honest, we've seen this the whole time, haven't we? I mean, verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 9, oh, I'll jump back, sorry. Oh, where'd I go? There we go. Verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then verse 15, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. All mighty acts of God, who we know is omnipotent, meaning he has all the power. I mean, why couldn't the creator of the sea and dry land be able to command the winds and the waves and the creatures living within it? We also know that God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere. He was in the presence of Jonah at Gath-Hefer. He was there during his journey going down to Joppa, going down to the boat, going down to the sea, even when he was going into the belly of the great fish, God was with in the presence of Jonah. We see God's might here as well. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of fish three days and three nights. You know, if Jonah had made it to Tarshish, God would have still been there with him despite his attitude. But the Lord, in his mighty way of doing things, course-corrected his prophet to Nineveh. Now let's look at Jonah's response while he's inside the fish in chapter 2. It says this. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains." I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay, that's nice. That's nice, but there's something missing here. We see Jonah cry out to God for mercy in the first part. 
And we see him exalt in thanksgiving in the second half. But there is a definite lack of repentance here. I mean, even in the putrid, acidic stomach of this large fish, Jonah still thinks that he's right and God is wrong. And once he makes it back to dry land, probably didn't smell so good. Once he makes it back to dry land and reluctantly follows God's commands, he still wants to see the city destroyed. So he delivers the shortest revival sermon ever known to man. Eight words in Jonah 3. There we go. In Jonah 3, 4 through 5, it says, He began to go into the city, going about a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah still didn't get it. I mean, he did the bare minimum, and God still changed hearts. Then he went off and he pouted on a hillside overlooking Nineveh, waiting for its destruction that never came. The book of Jonah ends abruptly, so we don't know Jonah's fate, but I suspect his attitude didn't change. For now, I just want us to take a few minutes. Like I said before, let's, let's view this story as though we're looking in a mirror. Where do you see yourself in Jonah? Maybe you think in your heart that those people will never come to know Jesus or don't deserve to. So why bother? I hear that. I mean, there's a moral standard that we, we see others fall short on and it angers us. I mean, we think we're the hero, they're the villains. We desire righteous justice, that they need to be punished for what they have done or what they're doing. We need to remember that we too were sinners, divided from God, enemies of God. And he made a way for us to come back to him. He changed our hearts. Or like Jonah, maybe you're running from God. Maybe there's something that God has called, to you, called you to do that you're resisting. Jonah ran away from his problems. He, he did the easy thing, which didn't solve his problems. It just made them worse, just like it does for us. We are called to trust and obey, just like the old chorus says, just like these children recited their verse this morning, to trust and obey their parents. That's what our call is, to trust and obey God. We need to do the hard thing, trusting that the Holy Spirit is leading, guiding, and protecting our hearts. The beauty of the gospel is no matter how far someone has walked away, it's only one step back. If you're a believer, you're commissioned, you're called to be the one to share the gospel. Remember Matthew 28, show love to the unlovable. Don't be Jonah. Maybe you're here today and you see yourself as the sailors, not into the whole God thing, but you feel the waves pounding all around your ship and you're chucking this, that, and the kitchen sink overboard, hoping to make sure that your load is lighter, hoping that you can fix things. 
I hope that you know the mighty God who created the sea and the dry land, who stirs and quells storms, who controls all of nature, sent his only son to take your burdens. Be a sailor, call upon the name of the Lord, and be saved. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 says this. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jonah, Jonah is not the hero in this story. Just the same, you and I are not the hero. This story is a reflection of who we truly are, sinful, flawed, selfish. Happy Sunday to you. There's only one who can rescue us, and that one is Jesus. Jesus who calmed storms. Jesus who walked on water. Jesus who multiplied fish multiple times. Jesus who gave his life to save many. Jesus who went down into the belly of the earth for three days and rose again to bring salvation. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the better Jonah. Would you follow his call today? Let's pray. God, you've placed a call on all, all of our hearts and all of our lives. Lord, maybe that call is for us to take the first step of faith, to admit that we are sinners, that there's nothing that we can do to fix the relationship between you and us. But Lord, for us to recognize that Jesus has already taken that step, that he's already made that way, and that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we believe that he is our Savior, and that we are called to something greater. Lord, maybe that step is, is breaking down a wall that has just been in our hearts for, for years or decades and realizing that, realizing that, that your love is for everyone. So Lord, help us to, to put aside that pride, help us to put aside those prejudices or whatever it is that's holding us back from sharing your love with people that might even be our enemies. Lord, we praise you. We glorify you because you alone, you alone are our Savior. You're alone are our way of having that right relationship with, with God. So I pray that we would just take a deep look, that we would be take an honest look of where we're at, what we see ourselves in this story of Jonah. Thank you for this example. Thank you for seeing somebody in your scripture that didn't have it all together, who didn't even have a great attitude throughout the entire narrative, Lord. But yet you still used him to change an entire city. Lord, I pray that that could be true of Neely. 
I pray that that could be true of this congregation, that they go out and they're able to change the city through showing your love. God, we praise you, we glorify you, and we lift your holy name. Amen. Thank you.